Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And as you may have learned last week, uh, we were able to record even with the new updates on the yes. GarageBand app. Uh, Matt, this is quarantine episode five, but this is also the Josh Christopher episode. As ASU has is. landed its highest ever recruit, higher than James Harden in the rankings, composite rankings, whatever that's yeah. worth. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and we don't know if it's worth anything, but it's exciting on the surface. But he is committed. His brother was on the team last year. He'll mm-hmm. be back. Um, but mm-hmm. Christopher's a a one-and-done, a legit one-and-done player. Um, yeah, 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 pretty much a certainty. I mean, he's uh, the, the two articles that were posted on The Athletic after his commitment, one was by Haller and one was... By one of their national guys, I, I don't remember the name offhand, but he's one of their, you know, college basketball writers, um, you know, and a lot of comments from his dad, more so than him, that made it very clear, hey, he is he is in college for a short pit stop, uh, he's in college to, you know, as we've, as we've joked about in the past, but it's, it's not a joke, uh, you know, build his brand, and, you know, go on to the NBA next, and, you know, as we're probably going to discuss as part of this, um, at this point in time, and I'm just going to say at this point in time, we're lucky he's chosen to go to college because some of these guys of his caliber are finding other ways around the college system, and he appears to be committed. Fingers crossed he'll actually show up here and play here and there won't be a change of heart. Uh, uh, You know, I'm excited for the possibility, at least. The... Fragile peace between the NCAA and the NBA when it comes to basketball players is being certainly challenged right now. Uh, the G League with the hundred twenty five thousand dollars, which mm-hmm. that, that's good money if you it's solid. Go that route. It's solid for a year. You know, I mean, most of these guys are looking at doing it for a year. They're not, you know, it's not a five year deal. Uh, they're not stuck there for a long time. I mean, it's it's. It's more money than you're at least legally going to make, and probably even illegally going to make by going to college. Um, and you're being you're being coached in, you know, what's closer to an NBA system. Most of these teams are affiliated with, uh, you know, a parent club, um, and so their coaching can funnel down to the coaching of the G League team. And you're, you know, you're playing more games, you're getting more reps in in pro basketball. Um, you know, it's interesting, and more and more guys are taking that route to Jalen Green, who, you know, I think by one source, he and Christopher are 1-2 in the, in the rankings, you know, nationally, said he's going that route today, not going to college. Um, you know, we've, we've seen guys go to Australia. We've seen guys like James Wiseman, who put in a brief appearance in college and then never came back. Um, well, we've seen, because the NCAA uh, wouldn't let him, you know, or initially ball. wouldn't let him. We saw Ball so that, go to right. Europe. Paul and, and RJ Hampton this year went to Europe, yeah, or Australia, I guess, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's other routes out there, and I think that's okay. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, guys taking other routes. College isn't for everybody, and one year in college is kind of a sham. For the You know, I mean, I think we can all agree it's a little bit of a sham. Um, you're not really there to be a college student. You're there to, you know, get, you know, some babysitting for six months, and you know, play some basketball and take your minimum number of courses and then move on. And that's clearly what this kid's going to do. That said, you know, you, 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 as a fan, you deal with the nature of the beast. 
do I wish that, you know, getting a commitment for a basketball player like this meant he was going to be over three or four years like the old days? Sure. But it doesn't. And we know that. And so, you know, I'll take it and hope he's hope he's up to the billing and hope he's worth what is probably going to be a little bit of headache behind the scene. I mean, you, you read the story and you, you can tell the kid's got plenty of ego. If he's worth it, great. If he's not, that's where it becomes like, did you bite from the poisonous apple, that type of thing. Well, if you're wondering, though, where the problems could lie, as and this is reading the tea leaves, because obviously I've never seen this kid or his family, sure, or seen his sure. brother play, you know, seven minutes. Barely. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yeah. But the person who's doing the talking is the dad, and, and the track yes. record of fathers being very yeah. active with the media is not great. Uh, I, I remember not. in Haller's story when he was told that ASU had never won a conference title, and he yeah. was just dumbfounded. Yeah, gobsmacked yeah. at the idea <laughs> of having. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's going to be interesting um, because when you go get. You know, players like this, When you're, if you're going to recruit five-star players, football or basketball, you're probably going to get some outsized ego for a 17- or 18-year-old. Just just a fact. You know, getting getting a humble uh, 17-year-old kid who's been told for years how great he is at his sport is probably not possible. You might get some fake humility. Some guys are good at already establishing their fake humility that they'll use later on. But they're probably not not really humble. So, you know, you're, you're going to deal with it and you just have to hope that he's one of the ones who is worth it. Uh, you know, I texted you the morning after the commitment and said, you know, I, I hope he's more Anthony Davis than Nico Mannion. Um, and I, you know, I don't need to pick on Nico Mannion, but I kind of do. Um, it, you know, he was okay, but he wasn't anything special given the hype. Um, it, but you know, then there's those Anthony Davises and those Derrick Roses and goes like that. And you think, well, would you take your chance, even if it's a maybe one in 10 chance? Sure you would. You know, I mean, you absolutely always swing for the fences and hope you get a guy like that. Yeah, and adding him to Bagley makes for a really exciting two-man class. And it does. Obviously, ASU added a transfer in Luther Muhammad from Ohio yeah. State. Um, may or may not be eligible next year. Yeah, um, this is one of those ones. This is one of those ones that you and I have talked about where he's not eligible, and everyone's saying he's not eligible. But Doug Haller keeps saying for now, and and because it's Doug Haller, you think, well, what does he know? There might be something to it. Yes, yes. Well, and and there has been talk of putting this into place quickly, of you know a one-time transfer exemption, like other sports have which I don't know about you, this is a side topic, but I, my mind was blown when I was informed, basically, that there's only a handful of sports, football and men's basketball and women's basketball being among them, that require you to sit out a year. Most NCAA sports don't. And I, and I never knew that. I mean, you know, it goes to show how little we follow those sports. Never paid any attention. But most sports do not require that year out. And so if they, you know, or at least the one time, I think they do after a second transfer, um, you know, if they go to that in basketball, maybe this kid doesn't necessarily need a personal waiver. Maybe he'll just be the beneficiary of a rule change. Yeah, and that would be interesting. I also was uh, new to that knowledge that it was only yeah. in the in yeah. the big sports. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like those those three. I mean, bat, both basketballs, football, I think hockey, and maybe like one or two other sports require that. 
and the rest don't. And I, I you know, again, it, it, it illustrates one that I don't pay that much attention to the other college sports, and I bet 99% of college sports fans would fall into that category. Um, but also the inequity that, you know, that we don't let, you know, football and basketball players do that when a softball player or a water polo player or a volleyball player could do exactly that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree with you. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. You know, yeah, I mean, a kid is, is an interesting player, and we got the kid from Portland State, you know. Who is, is eligible. He, he is, uh, you know, is he great? Uh, who knows? You know, I mean, it, it's uh, taking a smaller school transfer is sort of, you know, the odds are probably about like getting a, you know, one and done to be a superstar. You know, you, you take a swing for the fences. Um, some of them become nothing. You know, there's always some of these guys who get buzz every year. They're going to a bigger school and by, you know, January, you haven't, you know, they're buried on the bench. Um, but some of them turn into really valuable players for their team, and so we'll, we'll see what this kid ends up being. Yeah, well, and with Remy Martin presumably out, and, and I'm going to assume he's gone, even though the stories are starting to lean back towards maybe he and They are, White they are. Up, but... And, and, I, and I, it's interesting you point that out. I was going to ask you that, because Haller originally seemed to have the take that, boy, it seems like Martin's gone. And lately, what I've read from him is more optimistic. And we ju- you just mentioned it about Haller that, you know, it seems like he oftentimes knows things before they happen. Lately, it's been more, you know, hey, there's the chance they get Martin and White both back. And early on, I didn't feel that way after he declared. Yeah. Well, and I told you when it, when we were in still on Christopher, and yeah. I know it's different positions, but he's a ball-dominant player. And Burge is. is a ball-dominant player. And I just thought that, this was Martin reading the tea leaves and being like, look, if I have a chance to make it, this is it. Because all of a sudden, my numbers are going to go down. I I saw somebody suggested on Twitter, you know, could you imagine if ASU had the conference player of the year in Martin, the sixth man of the year in Verge, and the newcomer of the year in Christopher? It's like, there's not enough time in the game for all three of those guys to get those numbers. (laughs) There's not, exactly. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, it sounds great. But, yeah, there's the only, only one basketball. I'll say this. The only way we sweep this is if Hurley doesn't start Christopher. Then he, could, yes. then he yes. by himself, could sweep every Could category. win two of the awards or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but yeah, there's, there's only one ball to go around. Um, and, you know, Martin is a good point guard. But, but Martin, I wouldn't say is, is and, and maybe there is no such thing anymore, he's not the traditional point guard. He's not a, you know... Uh, Rajon Rondo type where, hey, he's going to pass the ball eight times out of ten. He's a, you know, he likes to have the ball in his hands to score. Um, and Verge, we saw that. I mean, I, I texted you that during a couple games last year that the ball gets into Verge's hands and the way it comes out is by going toward the rim. He oftentimes forgets that there's four other guys on the court. Uh, you know, he likes to dribble and he likes to shoot. And, and you got to imagine, I've never seen the Christopher kid play, but Again, five-star recruit who's, you know, building his NBA you know, potential. He's going to want the ball in his hands. So, yeah, they're, you know, good problem to have in a way if all three of them are there, if Martin does come back. But it will require Hurley to, to do some juggling and find a way to make sure all three guys are still locked in because they'd all be important to the success of the team. They just can't all dominate the ball. Right, and to that end, there's one more spot they need, which is a big, because right now it's White yeah. if he comes back and Graham. 
And Graham. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe Bobby Hurley's imagining a team where other than Martin, everyone is six five or taller. Christopher's six five. Yeah. Uh, Verge, yeah. And then you got Terry I mean, and Lawrence. It definitely and feels like Hurley is the type of coach. And again, this is also how college basketball and just basketball in general has evolved. That you don't play two bigs. You don't have a, a you know a roster of four or five big men. Um, you you have you know you have maybe one or two guys who can you know defend the rim and get some rebounds, and the rest of the game is perimeter oriented. Um, the NBA has gotten that way, and college basketball has gotten that way, and so it's it's not necessarily just Hurley, but but that seems to be the style he's comfortable with is you know perimeter guard heavy type of play and yeah i mean there's there's enough there you know we don't know yet what kind of player christopher and bagley are but they both seem like they're they're perimeter guys they're not you know they're not going to be in the post uh you know but again who's in the post anymore honestly you know i mean white is and that's why we talked about last week or the week before that you know white doesn't really make a lot of sense for the nba because He's a back to the basket post guy who's six foot eight. That that's an archaic thing now in basketball. Yeah, I just think back to you know the Bob Huggins Kansas State team. Yes, with Walker and Beasley as yes. sort of the ideal. Uh, yes, of this well, his, the West Virginia team that he coached that got to the Final Four, I think in twenty ten or eleven, where the the kid. Um, Butler, I think Deshaun Butler, he got hurt in the Final Four, totally ripped up his leg. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, I love that team because that team was like the perfect example of, you know, everybody could guard everybody, everybody could rebound, everybody could handle the ball. Not really a traditional big, not really a small guy, just five guys playing basketball and and good defense too. I mean, Huggins always has good defensive teams. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Hurley's ever going to be a coach that is defense first. Doesn't seem like that's something he is, but, you know, <laughs> we could be better. It's funny that you say that because that was almost uh, the unspoke. I think that was the unspoken line from Josh Christopher's dad. Well, he really lets yeah. the guards play and, and <laughs> flow and, and do it. Yeah. 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 And they don't have to play defense right. uh, for the right. most part. And, and I think, you know, like. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is with basketball. If you're good enough offensively, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, these are Hall of Fame level names, but, you know, who is who is Steph Curry guarding? Who is Steve Nash guarding? Who is James Harden guarding? Eh, not really anybody. But they bring enough to the table on the offensive end that you get by with it. And, you know, I mean, it, it's still a limitation at times, and sometimes you have to work around it that they can't play defense, but you can do that because they can fill up the basket. So, you know, that's how guys are coming up. And, and, a, and an elite prospect usually does not pride himself on defense. Now, maybe this kid will be the exception to the rule, but most of the time it's, you know, especially a guard, it's uh, how many points can I score? How many assists can I get? It's And, and maybe how many steals? They love steals because that sets up fast breaks, but it's the man-to-man defense locking down your guy. Not really a strength of a lot of guys now. Well, and what you see with that is when a guy has that strength, it's the first thing that gets mentioned. Uh, yes. Luther yes. Mah- <laughs> you know, with, with Muhammad transferring, that's what they say. When they talk I about you know the reason yeah. why Jalen House played so much last year, 
they talk about how intense he was defensively. Yes, and, you know, yes. He yes. gave up 27 points to Pritchard, and we talk about how great that performance <laughs> was. Like, it was, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you know, and, and uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, defense is the way to get yourself on the court if your offense isn't good enough to get on the court. And that was the case for Jalen House. I mean, he brought very little to the table offensively last year. Uh, his shot was kind of ugly and, uh, you know, didn't go in much when he did take it. Um, but his effort on defense was too good to turn down. He couldn't keep him on the bench. And that's kind of what Martin was initially. Well, you know, and in, it was his first Cherry, year, he was, was that type player. Cherry's first Cherry, year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he didn't really shoot well all year. He never had the year offensively that he was supposed to have. So you're right, though. I mean, there's there's an intriguing balance. I mean, a couple weeks ago when we talked to ASU basketball, we talked about all the guys leaving. Um, and you thought, you know, well, where is it? Now, now you look at it, and again, it still swings a little bit on Martin and White and what they end up doing. And we could be waiting a while because I know the deadline is June 3rd right now, but I could easily see that getting pushed back if the draft gets pushed back, which seems like almost a certainty. So we could be waiting into July before we know about Martin White, um, which is just the way it goes right now, you know. But we get those, we get even one of them back. White, I would say, probably being the more important one, even though he's not as good a player. And you look and think, this is a team that has, you know, top 25, Pac-12 title contention ceiling, don't you think? I mean, is that unreasonable? Oh, I think that's entirely reasonable. I saw on Twitter, I think it was Goodman, but it might have been Borzello, who said that, you know, his tentative start of his rankings for next season, he had us as a top 25 team before the Christopher signing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I think so. I think so. You know, like, this was a team that kind of came together this year at the end. We didn't didn't get to see how it would resolve itself and how we would do it. postseason um but you know the last five six weeks of the regular season they showed some promise and have a chance to bring almost everybody back you know i mean you, edwards and mitchell are gone if you get martin and white back that's you know that's a big chunk of your contributors yeah you lost some of the bottom of the roster guys thomas and allen and kyle fate and Valtman, but those, i mean Valtman Played some, but by the end he wasn't playing much. Yeah, you know, in that in that either. run of the last five to six weeks, he was rarely on the court. You know, I mean, so he, you know, yeah, Edwards and Mitchell were key guys, and, and you know, but if you can replace, let, let's say theoretically, it's not an even comparison, but let's say you can bring everybody back but Edwards and Mitchell, and you replace them with Christopher and Bagley, that should be a trade up, right? I mean, I yeah. you know, I I like Edwards and Mitchell, but they're, they weren't superstars, and these two guys at least have the potential to be. Well, and the thing with Mitchell, the, the, the thing that I'm worried about losing him is not what he did in the box score, because it wasn't sure. there. Sure. But it seemed certainly like everyone had good things to say about him, and he was just a real physical reminder of you have to work hard to make things he was. work for you. He was, definitely. No, I mean, he was he was the definition of a glue guy. You know, and you have him in football, too. You know, you have guys who, you know, um, different different in a way, but, sim- you know, you, you talked a lot throughout last season about Kyle Williams. Similar type of, you know, Kyle Williams never, you know, set the world on fire statistically. Uh, you know, his, his sophomore year was probably his best statistical season. 
last two years he wasn't as productive, but it was just like that that intangible sort of like eh, you know you trusted him. Had him out there, you felt good with him out there. And you knew and he'd was be that in the right place. Yeah, you knew he'd be in the right place. You knew yeah. he would do the right. He'd make the right decision. It, it's, yes. You know, I felt that way in football too about uh, Kobe Williams. You just yes, you just kind That's of it. accepted that. Yeah, he'd he'd make the right call. He'd he'd Very be in the true. right place. Yeah. He'd do the right thing, yeah. and it didn't always work. I mean, Mitchell got beat. No. Uh, you know, on sure. some sure. you know things because he broke his back. And he was right, coming back right, that. right, right, right. No, I mean, they weren't, you know, because we're talking about them in this way, they weren't superstars. They weren't James Harden. You know, they, they weren't Terrell Suggs or, you know, those, you know, we, we'd be talking about them differently if they could do that. Uh, but they were good, solid, reliable players, and, and losing them is always tough. And, it, and those are the guys that you sometimes underestimate the importance of losing them. When you lose a guy like James Harden, you know it's going to, be tough. You lose Nikhil Harry, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's going to be tough to replace. Um, but when you lose a guy like Kyle Williams, you think, well, geez, he wasn't that great, but you might halfway through the next season think, boy, I wish we had Kyle Williams. The first time you see next football season, a receiver sort of haphazardly effort yeah. a block and right, you know, the guy right. just goes right around him. And you think, boy, that didn't seem to happen much last year. It did not, no. <laughs> yeah. no. And, and, you know, and Mitchell's a perfect example of a guy who would just, you know, he'd grab a big rebound, uh, you know, he'd be able to play defense on somebody, you know, that type of, you know, so it's like, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, you're right. And and Edwards was, you know, a streaky shooter. Yeah. There were times in mean, the Kansas game that we talked about last week, um, you know, as one of our greatest memories. I mean, Edwards had a big second half in that game. He made the three that gave us the lead. He made the free throws to seal the game. Um, you know, so he had moments. But overall, again, I mean, everything we're saying, everything you said about Mitchell is 100% true. I agree with it. But they weren't stars. And if these two guys can't be, if they can live up to their recruiting billing, and then you get, you know, Remy Martin back potentially, and you get Ramella White back potentially, two guys who've been, you know, three-year starters, um, and then you got Lawrence, and then you got Cherry, and you got Verge, and you, you know, I mean, that's just, that's yeah. seven guys right off the bat, yeah. I think. and Graham and that's House, and you're done with the rotation. Graham and House. And yeah, Holland, exactly, you've yeah. got to, I mean, you go to Holland, True. if he's something, that's True. a 10-man rotation. True. Yeah, so that ain't bad. Um, you know, I mean, now this is all, this is all saying some coin flips come up our way, every one of them. That Martin White both come back, that Christopher and Bagley are as good as they're supposed to be, you know, no and so we don't know. No one else leaves, exactly. You know, no one else gets injured. Uh, we seem to always have some significant preseason injury. So, you know, it's like an annual thing in late October, early November. We have, you know, somebody get injured and miss the first part of the year. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's there's variables here. And I'm certainly not, you know, looking at this team right now and saying, well, final four or bust. But I like what they have in, in potential. And, uh, you know, it, it feels like, hopefully, this is the year for Bobby Hurley to take this program from, okay, we're right around tournament contention to we are a, a contender to do something in the tournament. We're not just kind of sneaking around the bubble. We're not talking in you know late part of the season about can we make the tournament? What do we have to do in the Pac-12 tournament to be sure? You know, like it's time. It's time in a way for him to push the you know accelerator down and get us from above average to good 
and and it feels like he potentially now has the roster to do that. Now, when James Harden was with the team, we we got to a sixth seed and beat Temple before losing to Syracuse. Is that yes. sufficient for you for next year? We were top, we're borderline top twenty-five all season. We are favored in our first game, but we don't um, see a second weekend because to me suppose, the hype now is too high. We need yeah, to I do mean, better. I guess I need to know before say. I mean, I guess you know it's hard to answer because I think it depends on those decisions by Martin and White. If Martin and White both come back, then no, I don't think that's good enough. Uh, you know, being a six seed. And, and getting, you know, soundly beaten in round two would not be good enough for me. It'd be better than what we've done so far. You know, I'm not saying it would be like, oh, we should fire Bobby Hurley and totally start over. But no. Now, if both of those guys go pro, we don't get them back, then maybe so. You know, then I think you look and say, okay, there's not a lot of veteran experience here. Uh, yeah, you'd have Lawrence. But he's, you know, he's not played nearly as much or a significant role as Martin, um, and, you know, and that'd be your only senior, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you'd look at that and say, yeah, okay, getting, you know, a solid top twenty-five NCAA tournament team that, you know, as you said, you know, favored in your first game, and then, uh, you know, you lose the second round. Yeah, okay. But if if we have all those guys, that ten-man rotation we just talked about. I think we should be better than that. Well, I mean, it's hard to say right now, but what do you think? I think we should be better than that. I, I so, This is my fear. We can't, if Christopher's a one and done, and let, let's be realistic, Bagley might be a one and done too, his brother was. He could be. He could, um, yeah, yeah. How do you capitalize on the momentum if not by making some sort of tournament run? Because if it fizzles, doesn't every recruit say, oh, well, they can't win. I'll just go to, I, I I'll just go to U of A. I'll agree. just go to Duke. I'll just go to UNC. I'll go to Kentucky. Sure, I'll go to Memphis. Sure. And that is the tricky thing about the, you know, going the one and done route, and, you know, and, and getting these type of guys is you have a very limited window to take advantage of it. Very limited as in one year. You don't get, you know, I mean, it's different when you recruit well in football and we seem to be recruiting better in football and you can say, well, okay, you know, like last year, you know, Merlin Robertson didn't have the kind of year we would have expected in year two, but we get it for year three and boy, you know, let's, let's hope that things get back to where they were and you, you can take it kind of slow, kind of slow, not super slow, but kind of in basketball. It's like, you know, if you're going to get these guys, you got to take advantage. And I mean, I think I, I'm, you know, just the opposite of an Arizona fan. But if you're an Arizona fan, don't you have to be pretty disappointed by this year? You had three guys that are all going pro, one and duns, um, and two of them came in with big-time hype, Mannion and, and Josh Green, uh, and yet really didn't do much with them. Now, granted, again, everything comes with the caveat that there was no NCAA tournament. We don't know what would have happened in that. But, you know, the season that they had was pretty underwhelming. Uh, you know, they would have made the tournament, but really, other than that, what did they accomplish? Not much. Well, the the piece for me about this that I think is important to consider, especially, I mean, obviously, after it's over, we'll evaluate what sure, we think. Sure. But we're, we are trying something 
that creates a treadmill that you can't get off of. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I'm, I mean that by, okay, if we had these two one-and-done guys, and we're going to lose Lawrence, and we're going to lose Holland, and we're going to lose <laughs> Martin and White for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know we're, we're going to have to replace between three and five guys sure. off the top next year. Yeah. You're yeah. forcing yourself to become a team that signs one and done and grad transfers. And maybe that's good because we've talked about he's great at bringing in talent. It's unclear how much the talent develops from A right. to Z. Right. Um, right. But if you get on that treadmill, you always need to bring in talent. You do. Because you do. No, you're right. You, yeah. you know, what yeah. you can't do is say, okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to get off this treadmill. We're going to sign a bunch of three-star guys and build them up. Because, four years. Yeah. Four-year guys. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're telling me that for the next two years, we're going to be bad. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it is it is a interesting way. You know, I mean, obviously, it's, it's worked at places like Kentucky and Duke. Um, you know, they have embraced the model. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Kentucky is losing like, what, 94% of their scoring from this year or something like that. But that's what they do. They get other guys and they'll be good again. You know, it's just, it's, they've proven they can do it year after year. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's again, kind of the same thing as saying, you know, you know, is it worth it to take on a kid who's got this ego and an entourage and his dad may be a little bit of a pain and, uh, yeah, it's worth it because it might turn out great, but there's some risk. And, and then, you know, the additional risk is you got to continue to do it. You can't, I mean, basketball is not one where, you know, yeah, one or two recruits can help you for one year, but then what about the next year and the year after that, and the year after that, you know, it's, you don't, you don't have a recruiting class that you say, okay, this is our foundation for the next three or four years. Doesn't work that way in, in big time college basketball now. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, it does come with risk that you have to be able to back it up and get players of that same type caliber next year and the year after and the year after in order to keep this thing going. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's the right move. I, I know that this is going to sound very short-sighted, but that's how college sports work. I think yeah. it's the right move until the NBA broadens back out to yeah. 18 and older in yeah. the draft. Yeah, and then, agreed. You know, and then I think you have then to, you to adapt. But, yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, and, and, I, and I hope that that happens sooner than later because I, I think it would be good for both levels. I really do. I think there would be, you know, there is a, again, I mean, as I said, it's, it's nice to be an ASU fan right now and think we got this kid. But is there a little bit of, of sort of thinking, you know, like I just said, you have one year to take advantage of it, not anything after that. And so if something goes wrong next year, you have a rash of other injuries, you have, you know, whatever it may be, you well, lose close he, games. What if on the Mill Madness, he sprains his ankle landing in the dunk exactly. contest and he misses, exactly. you know, the first six weeks and then he plays against you know, Prairie View A&M, and then his dad right. says, yeah, we can't risk him blowing out his knee, so he's done. So he's done. I mean, look at Memphis. Look at Memphis. Memphis, you know, they they went all in with the, you know, the tempting apple on the tree. You know, they, 
they, they got James Wiseman, they got other, you know, big name guys, and they were probably going to miss the tournament had there been one. Because Wiseman, well, he was great, only played like, what, three or four games, then got suspended, then decided, eh, I'm not coming back when my suspension's over. And they built the team around him, and they weren't the same after that. So, you know, you, you, you do take a risk. Again, I mean, I, you know, for every one Anthony Davis who was a star, you know, he was the national player of the year. They won the title. He was the number one pick, home run, you know, recruit. There's probably 10, 15, 20 five-star guys that they come, they go, and they don't really give you much of anything. Now, will you take your chances? 100%. 100%. I mean, I'm certainly not sitting here saying, Hurley should just recruit three-star guys and be content with average talent. No, you swing for the fences and you hope you hit a home run, but many times when you swing for the fences, you swing and miss. And, and we'll see. You know, time will tell what this one is and then what, you know, if we continue to go this route, how it goes. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, it's the route you have to take in, in the game as it is today. Do I hope that that game changes in the next three, four, five years? Yeah. I think it would be good for college. I definitely think it would be good for the NBA. Um, you and I have discussed, you know, in the past, I'd love to see, like, real changes where you could, you know, leave guys in college who didn't like where they were drafted, those, those type of things. Yeah. Maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. I don't know. Yeah, you go to the hockey style. Of, you know, exactly. The, exactly. Yeah, you own the guy, but if you don't want to spend a roster spot on him, he can, he just can stay in college. Or, or you know, a guy gets drafted in round two or goes undrafted and decides, I'm going to come back. Like, why do they have to make, I mean, honestly, you know, I, I, we just talked about the timeline for Barton and White. You know, why do they have to make that decision before the draft? Why not just, I mean, it, you know, you compare it to like another college student, a non-athlete who, you know, like maybe after your junior year in college, you have, you think maybe you have an opportunity to get hired. Let's use our major at a, you know, a major newspaper. Um, you don't have to decide on leaving college before you find out if that major newspaper is going to hire you. You wait and find out. And if they don't hire you or if they offer you a pay that you don't like or a job you don't like, you go back to college. The door's open. Yeah, well, it's the it's designed because the the people who make the negotiations happen to resolve this are the league and the players association. Right. And right. college students aren't in the players association. So They're not. They're you not, can no, trade away no. that right very easily of yes. that of that person to be able sure. to opt out in exchange for a little more money, Something a, a few else. more exactly. off days, yeah. less yeah. practice, whatever. Well, and, and not that they have a direct line in it, but, you know, college coaches are a powerful voice, and, you know, they don't want that. I mean, they don't. They want to know their roster as soon as possible. They don't, they don't want to have to wait until July or August to find out if a guy's coming back. They may have to at some point. They may have to this year if the draft gets pushed back, but you know they don't want to. You know, I'm sure they hate the fact that there's this much window. That, you know, college football coaches have to love it because you got to put your name in and pull it out within like a week or else you're in the draft. So they know, you know, they know in, in mid-January what their roster's going to look like, basically. Yeah. Speaking of college football, uh, during this downtime of social interaction, Herm is everywhere. Of course. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, you're not surprised, right? Right. No. Uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, 
he's her. You know, I mean, he may not be able to, you know, talk to masses of people like he's used to, but he's still going to get his voice out there somehow, some way. He wound up on Get Up uh, yeah. on ESPN. Yeah. He did an interview yeah. where they asked him if he would go back to the pros, and he said that ASU is the last job for him, which... Should I, be. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That, that might be also one of those things where, like, Mike Norvell removed his name from consideration, but it wasn't ever really considered. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, as much as I like what Herb's done here, I don't think NFL teams are beating down his door to come back and be a head coach. And I don't think they're going to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he had his run, he did well, he, you know, he had some success in New York and a modicum of success in Kansas City, but the window's closed. Well, and you look around. Across the board, with the exception possibly of who the Cowboys hired, you're you're right. looking for young, innovative people sure. and new ideas. And right. the only way the Cowboys got away with hiring McCarthy was he spent the entire year of not right. being employed learning new ideas and hiring right. his own right. assistants to like right. game plan for a new era of a football. new way of doing things. Yeah, young, innovative, and and offensive minded seems to be a popular way to go right now. Now that may change, you know, things are cyclical, but Herm's not offensive minded. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I mean, that was probably one of those, you know, questions that ESPN's asking because one, he's an old pal of theirs and two, they don't really have a lot to talk about. You can't say, you know, well, how was the spring game? And we didn't have one. Oh, okay. Well, are you ready for August? Well, we're not sure if we're going to be playing in August. Oh, okay. Well, let, let's see if you want to come back into the NFL. No, no, no. Definitely not interested in that. I will say one nice part about having spring practice start in midwinter is that we did get. We got some in. You know. Yeah, I know. I mean, a lot of teams probably didn't get any. And they got maybe a week or something, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, I mean, obviously they would have had no anticipation that it was an advantage, but, you know, in, in uh, indirectly, it turns out to be an advantage that, you know, they, they did get a couple weeks of practice in and they got, you know, some, some, especially with the new coordinators and, you know, they got, they got some reps, um, you know, what shaped the college football season, who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, everybody right now has their own idea. And eventually somebody or somebody's will have to make a decision on how it's going to look and when it happens and how it happens. Um, you know, we'll, we'll ride with that, see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, at least we got something because it may be a quick startup. Uh, you know, people saying, oh, we need, you know, three months to get ready. Like, you may not get three months to get ready. It may be, okay. You know, uh, you got two two weeks of workouts and two weeks of practice, and then get ready to play a game. Yeah, and that will be interesting. Um, before we go, it's uh, on a somber note. So the joy, the joy part, full joy part has ended. The rest That's of right. this is going to be a celebration of. That's right. That's uh, right. Not one passing, as Matt and I had talked about before, but I'm going to add a second one. Uh, the 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 less impactful on our college day-to-day life but but a voice that we both know howard finkel the wwf announcer wwe hall of famer passed away yes Um, yes a great and i think maybe one of the best i mean the 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 way he would introduce a new champion when someone won mm -hmm. uh, was you know goosebump inducing he had a he had a perfect way of doing it yeah i mean it's his call of that is the it's tantamount to let's get ready to rumble 
in yes. boxing was new yes. champion yes. in wrestling. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, you know, and even even mo- even though most of the times, you know, there was no suspense, you knew the guy won. Hearing him do the and no, you know, like yeah, that was that was as good as it got. Uh, the other one, which we'll spend a little bit more time on, Brian Dennehy. Uh, yeah. Dave Tom Callahan passed away. And yep, yep, yep. At one point, we had memorized Tommy Boy. Um, which, at one point? I think we still have, haven't we? I mean, we did it. I'm not sure how, <laughs> if I could do it right now, but but I remember there was a time in college where we actually just sat and did it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were bored a lot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, that's one of those movies you and I have, have talked about this in the past. That now I did just watch it recently, you know, with no sports on. I've been watching a lot of other things, including movies. But, you know, before I watched it in the last three weeks, it had probably been years since I'd seen it. I actually sat and watched it, but it didn't matter because I know it so well that it feels like I just watched it yesterday. Yeah, and his role limited but yeah. integral in bringing along the plot. Yep, yep, yep. No, you're right, you're right. And, uh, you know, sort of a, uh, one of those, you know, weird twists of fate things that, you know, in the movie, he died. And, of course, he far outlived his movie son, uh, Chris Farley. And, you know, what was that, 20, 25 years ago now? And Chris Farley died. Um, I didn't know that Brian Dennehy was still, I texted you that today. I was watching the movie a couple weeks ago, and I thought, did he die? And saw that, no, he hadn't. Well, I guess, uh, you know, like all of us, eventually we will. And he didn't wait too long. Um, but, uh, yeah, a great role. A small role. Uh, I mean, he was out of the movie by, what, the 20, 25-minute mark, probably. Yeah, but um, he gives the but exposition of what's important about the company and why. He does. He does. He does. That's right. That's right. Some great, and, and great casting. Because, like, it's believable that Brian Dennehy could have been Chris Farley's dad. They kind of had a they had a similar build, that's for sure, as as David Spade put it. How do they look? Chubby. Um, you know, they they could have been father and son. Wouldn't have been that much of a stretch. Yeah. Well, and he did play David Spade's father on Just Shoot Me for a brief arc. He did. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know he's... he's uh, famous for other movies i'm sure but that's the one that i know him from and always will uh he's he's big tom callahan um you know i i couldn't tell you the only other movie i know for sure he was in and that was just because it was advertised a ton back in the day was um he played bobby knight in the espn movie about season on the brink but i couldn't i couldn't tell you any other movies he's been in i'm sure he's got other roles that were more famous and certainly more prominent than what he did in tommy boy but for me, that's who he is. Well, it's like when Alan Rickman passed away, and for me, it was Die yes. Hard and Dogma. And it's that's like, right. well, he had all these that's other right. things. It's like, you know, for everybody else, it's, uh, you know, Harry Potter. and those, yeah. you know, But for me, it's exactly. like, uh, he was the Metatron. Right, you know? right. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I mean, there are certain people, especially people who, you know, like, yeah, they've had roles in franchises. Or, if you haven't seen that franchise or any of those, that doesn't mean anything to you, but you know, you may have seen him in one other thing and that's what they are. And yeah. To me, Brian Dennehy will always be big Tom Callahan. Uh, it was an iconic role as far as I'm concerned. If you were in Tommy boy, I mean, there's, there's people I've seen in dozens of law and orders. The guy, the guy who works for Callahan auto, who, uh, had the kidney taken out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's that guy. I've seen him in many other things, but he's the guy from Tommy boy who had the kidney taken out. <laughs> 
Well, he still has his <laughs> other one. <laughs> How you doing? Well, I had a kidney removed last year, but I still have the other one. Huh. Uh, what was he? Was he Mr. Riley? I think. Yeah, that sounds right. It was Mr. Rittenauer was the was the main like number two guy, yeah. the guy who who ran the meeting after Big Tom died, and then Gilmore was the bank guy. I do remember that, Mr. Gilmore. I think Riley was the other one. It is Riley was the other one. So. Okay, then I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I think it, I know Mr. Rittenauer was the bald guy who ran the meeting and said, you know, that uh, Tommy should go on the sales trip and you know ask Richard, do you have a better suggestion? Um, and then Mr. Gilmore was the bank guy who, for some reason, was in the Callahan Auto meeting, which I don't really think he should have been. Well, I think that they had put up collateral with the bank, so he actually was voting. The so bank he was in. part. Okay, okay. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is I mean, being you know, a. Uh, litigator who does a lot of business litigation yeah okay like, okay i'll trust i'll trust your interpretation of that because when i watched that the last time i even thought why is mr gilmore in this meeting deciding the fate of the company because he doesn't work for the company but i guess that makes sense uh well this has been a strong fifth quarantine episode um, it has it has we may need to stop counting these might start getting depressing well i'm i'm just keeping a running tab it's, <laughs> this is 256 overall yeah. Fifth in quarantine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, first one Again. since Josh Christopher signed. So That's right. That's right. That's right. Again, at least we didn't save uh, 250 for the NCAA tournament picks like we thought. Or else we'd be waiting another year, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Good well, thing we abandoned that plan. Well, we'll be back. There'll be other stuff. There's the draft. Yeah, uh, yeah. Week from today. We've actually got a sports event of some kind. Not a game. But an important event. Yeah. People are getting fired from real racing companies for their fake <laughs> racing commentary. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it's been yeah. an interesting, you know, month and a half so far, and, and I think we've been. got a little it bit more to been. go. But we do, we do, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, as we were texting a few days ago. It's been you know more than thirty days since we watched live sports, which is the first time in our lifetimes and many people's lifetimes that that's been the case. Um, you know, and yeah, you, but there's still news. That's the thing, you know, like, uh, the news is different, but it's still there. Still sports news to discuss. Yeah. Well, until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. <laughs>